Welcome to the Allendale Market Talk podcast. This is Greg McBride. I am joined by a very special guest here today. This is Jim Smith, PhD in swine nutrition from Kent Nutrition. Uh, I've had uh, Jim on to uh, to talk to him a little bit about uh, the African swine fever issues in in China. What we're seeing over there. What he's uh, he's heard because he's got some contacts over there. Uh, and then uh, moving forward. So welcome to the podcast, Jim. Thanks, Greg. I'm uh, looking forward to our discussion today. So let's get right into it, uh, Jim. Uh, so African swine fever. It is a purely a pork or a, a hog issue here it's not it, it, it's not going to be transferred to humans let's uh can you kind of talk to what it uh, what it actually does to the animals themselves well you bring up the the biggest point we need to bring discuss about african swine fever it does not affect humans so that it's just like you said a pig disease <clears throat> and it's a pig disease that gives the pig a really really bad headache and he starts actually bleeding and he gets a really high fever, and that fever combined with the bleeding, which causes the animal to die. That doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh. Okay, so so what they're what they're doing over in China is they're they're uh, they're finding this, and it's it's massively widespread. I mean, it's in every province possible, correct? Yes, it's everywhere. Yeah. Okay, so what what they're doing is they're they're now culling. Uh, culling these animals and oh you know i mean and here's the maybe this is the most simplistic question we can ask but if it doesn't pose a threat to uh to humans uh through you know pork uh, uh pork consumption wh why do we need to to cull those animals what's the what's the issue there well the problem we have with the virus it's so virulent and that means it's it's so strong and it is persists in the environment so long and it is passed from pig to pig through the fluids and when it's passed from pig to pig in fluids that includes meat uncared meat fresh meat frozen meat the virus is still alive so we can't have those infected animals around because we have the the likelihood of that pork infecting other pigs and particularly we export it Okay, so what what we're what we're the major concern in, with this is that you know it's not just going to be a Chinese problem, and and we've actually already seen that it's it's now uh, been found in in Vietnam. I think it's expected uh, that they're they're looking at, at possibly a a ten percent uh, uh, loss in, in or ten percent cut in uh, in hog production this year. Um, uh, I mean, let's go through some of these numbers as far as uh, China, because maybe a lot of our listeners don't really understand the magnitude or the size of this issue is that China produces roughly, what is it, 700 million uh, head of, uh, of uh, pigs every year. Yeah. We're talking about a loss uh, right now is that they're projecting that this could be a 25 or 35 percent uh year over year loss in production now it's massive it's yeah i mean that's huge what what everybody needs to consider is that in comparison so let's say the uh, the the chinese uh pork production or or hog production is 700 million head here in the united states we're 10 percent of that or they're 10 times what we are we produce about 70 million That's so I, when you're talking about i mean you're talking about 
all of our our production uh, times two times three you know that's a that's pretty astounding and i think we've already seen um you know the world is has taken notice and when this first this first happened um you know i think you and i have talked about this numerous times is that uh, a few months ago nobody really had any information you know so it was like oh this is going to be a big deal and a lot of a lot of uh you know us here in the in the uh, uh in the trading side of things and uh, on the research side of things we kind of pass it off as well it's it's a story to get everybody excited but it's you know it's 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 over there. It's not going to be an issue. So, how has that changed here uh, in the last few months? Have you, what have you seen that's uh, that's changed over there? Well, you're, you're right, Greg. We, you and I have been talking about this since what September, October, right? And I think well, part of the conversation that we had was that we both thought it was going to be bigger than anybody thought, simply because the Chinese weren't saying anything, and they were dribbling out, "Oh, we had an outbreak here, and we had an outbreak here." You know, it's almost like a, a high, like your teenage driver that got into a wreck, and he calls the dad. It's not really that bad. <laughs> and then you see the car, and it's almost totaled. Right. I think that's what what we're facing in China is that we're getting one story from the official lines, and then we're dribbling out information from our contacts and extrapolating that based upon as good information as some people have to get to our numbers. So what, where it's impacting us is we're hoping we're going to sell a lot of pork to China. Right. Right. And, and one of the things that I think uh, a lot of people um, are not, uh, I mean, you say you've said when, as we've talked, you've said that you, you've had some friends that have been over there, some peers of yours that have been over there that have kind of been boots on the ground reporting back. What, what have they said uh, when they've been over there? Uh, the the bottom line of everybody I've talked to that's been over there, or talked to people that have been over there is, it is bigger than anybody thinks it's it, it's going to be. So um, what this does is, and and I, I, you know, I don't know if they've if they've have they seen the uh, have they seen the actual, I guess damage is the best way to put it, or this the actual loss. Are they seeing that on uh, in the corporate structure of of uh, hog production, or is it is this all going to be, you know? essentially a way for China to eradicate the small farmer and bring everything into a more centralized and corporate type structure. Well, I think the Chinese government's going to use this as a opportunity to put better controls on pork production and modernize things. I think, I think that is a foregone conclusion. Uh, so we're losing a lot of the small backyard producers. Mm-hmm. We, we need to, we don't understand in the United States unless you've been to Southeast Asia or China that that backyard production is truly like having two or three sows in your backyard in a subdivision, and your neighbor next door has five or six sows, and the neighbor next door that has two or three, and across the road there's two or three, and it's fence to fence contact. There's little control, so that's where it's spreading so so badly. And we thought at the beginning that it was only going to spread to there, but when it first hit the First commercial high biosecurity modern production facility uh, like October. I think that's when we should have really started to pay attention that this is not going to be just the backyard pigs. Right. Okay. And then, uh, I mean, the other thing to think about here is, you know, 
we don't even have a we don't have a trade deal with the uh, the Chinese yet. And um, one of the one of the issues that uh, that we we have with China, especially if we're going to see an increase in in uh, in pork exports, um, because we have seen an, an increase in pork exports. I think this year we're up to close to 120,000 uh, tons of uh, of of pork sold to them. Um, which is is about 20 times what they actually did with us last year. Uh, the problem that we're going to run into is the amount of pork that they will actually take from us because of their restrictions on there. The uh, ractopa, uh, what is it, ractopamine uh, free pork, ractopamine free pork. That's we don't have a lot of rect, uh, ractopamine pork or ractopamine free pork that uh, we produce here, do we? Not as much. We don't have enough to meet the demand. But if the price of pigs goes up and stays at hundred dollar plus, we can absorb the loss of the efficiency from ractopamine free and provide ractopamine free pork. I we saw a tweet today from a farmer that says, "Yeah, it's it's a five dollar premium, but when I'm making a hundred dollars a hundred weight, I can I can I can make ractopamine free pork." I, I got you. I think the bigger issue, in addition to the ractopamine free, is the way that the Chinese get their pork. I mean, we're we're fortunate here in the United States. We have cold storage. We can freeze carcasses, and then we can uh, thaw them, and then we can break them down into primals or retail cuts. Most of the Chinese outside the the big cities, they purchase their carcasses fresh. Mm-hmm. And we can't ship fresh carcasses to China. So we've run right. into a, we may run into a logistics issue of meeting their demand simply because we've got the Pacific ocean between us. Well, now, isn't that, we can... isn't that going to be the the issue with, uh, with a lot of the major, uh, pork exporters, whether it's us, EU, Brazil, or Canada, isn't that going to be the same issue that everybody runs into? Oh, d- without a doubt, without okay. everybody free, ships frozen pork. But where I think where this might come into play is, will this force those non the rural and non city dwellers to switch to an alternative protein source like poultry or fish? Oh, but that that brings up other issues. I mean, uh, the poultry industry over in in China is, is wrought with issues. I mean, they've they are constantly under. Uh, under stress or under issues with avian flu, and uh, I, you know, the because they're so selective about who they will allow to uh, bring in animals, the the genetics are are extremely uh, poor over there for uh, for chicken, um, you know, and and there's no way. I mean, we're going to they're going to end up with a protein gap. There is no question about that. Where is there a way that they can? find a way to 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 bridge that gap i mean because it's they could they they could go back out and and overfish areas but that's still not going to fill the gap like we talked about the poultry is not going to fill the gap they barely buy beef uh from us as it is um you know what's uh, this is this is kind of lining up to be not a short-term issue this is going to be a several year issue before uh, it's all kind of sorted out. I mean, what do you think the the ramifications are for this as far as how many years does this take before it's sorted out? Because at this point, we don't even have a uh, a way to treat it. 
Oh, without a doubt. And my crystal ball is as cloudy as everybody else. <laughs> but this is it's gonna it, it's gonna take a while. And on the talk about the the poultry, not only do we have the the disease and the genetic issues, we also have a societal issue in that the Chinese prefer a dark skinned, skinny, black feathered chicken. So our the broiler that we get from Tyson's or Purdue's doesn't fit that market because there's a prejudice against white feathered chicken. It's what we, we love, but they don't right. like it. So we just can't ship chicken over there and fit their need. It's There's no way that we can fill their protein need immediately. It, well, and not even not even just us, but other other countries oh, that are worldwide providers. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, let's well, you think let's... about this from a political standpoint. Where does that put the Chinese government if they can't get enough protein for their people? Oh, there. I mean, it's it. You know, po- potentially spins them back twenty years. I mean, you look a third at, world country. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, second largest economy, third world country. If mm-hmm. if you want to look at it from that perspective, but uh, I mean, this this provides us uh, obviously here in the U.S. with a huge opportunity. Now, something that you and I have talked about, and I I saw you had posted this on Twitter uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I I hadn't been thinking about it, but one of the things that I was concerned about is. With all these, with all this loss and having to re, uh, rebuild this herd, the the Chinese ap- appetite for soybeans and soy meal theoretically should decrease substantially when it comes to uh, feeding or, or animal nutrition over there. But I, you had a you had a different take on it, and and if you could share that, that'd be great. Well, as you know, I was Debbie Downer on soybeans. I, it just thought we're not going to sell any more soybeans to China, no meal, based simply upon what their, what was happening in the hog herd. But as, as I started to think about it, the, the pigs that were losing immediately, as we discussed, were the backyard pigs. Mm-hmm. And those backyard pigs are fed garbage. And garbage is waste from the kitchen, waste from the grocery store, and they might supplement that pig with some pig feed but they're buying their pig feed like a half a bag at a time Mm -hmm. not buying it by the truckload so those pigs that we're losing in the outskirts in the rural backyards they're not eating much of our soybean meal to begin with and so the the big corporate the big corporate operations are the ones that are the uses massive massive users of of meal and so we by what you're saying it's not going to be a huge hit to uh, to their soybean uh, uh, needs if we if we ever get a deal done with them in the first so place. Potentially. Okay. Now let's say that we lose forty. I'm just spitballing numbers here. Say we lose forty percent of production, and two thirds of those pigs, or three quarters of those pigs, eat very little soybean meal, mm-hmm. and the rest, the remaining twenty five percent, are modern production, and we lose that soybean meal. So we're not down 40% in our soybean meal use. We're down, mm-hmm. what, 10%? But that right. doesn't account for aquaculture is a huge user of soybean meal. Mm-hmm. And they are going to increase poultry production, and they use lots of soybean meal. So if you put your rose-colored glasses on, we could ship just as many soybeans to China as we have in the past. Right, yeah. I mean, that's 
<laughs> that's really, really rose-colored and bullish, but I'm not, it, as you think about it, it's not as dire as it appeared when hogs went up to 100 bucks, and we were thinking that China lost every pig that we would feed. Right, but it—I mean, uh, and that'll—we'll—we'll we'll talk about uh, that kind of a, a thing uh, as we as we move forward here, as far as uh, the the change in prices that we've seen here recently. But let's let's move on to um to more of a a, a in our own backyard situation here. Uh, recently, they canceled the World Ex, uh, World Pork Expo. I know you've uh, you've been to that numerous years, um, and what was the what was the reasoning or what was the excuse given as far as why they were canceling it and uh, do we ever see something like this come? Is this going to happen next year as well? Is this are we just uh, for the foreseeable future no more World Pork Expo? Well, I have no inside information from National Pork Producers Council, but they what they have released is there is a negligible chance that somebody could bring. African swine fever over in their clothing, luggage, and their person. And that was the reason that they chose to cancel it. Now, this okay. is the second time we've canceled World Pork Expo since it started. The other time was in 2001 when foot and mouth disease was rampant in, in England. Mm -hmm. I think to a person that I've talked to in the industry, they think it's a good decision. Um, it's it, Because we get such a large contingency that comes from areas that have uh, African swine fever endemic in a, not just Asia, but also in parts of uh, Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. So okay. be really cautious and protect the U.S. pork industry. They chose to just cancel it. And, and now here in the U.S., we are very stringent about biosafety. Mm -hmm. um, are, are we seeing... Are we seeing any sort of? Uh, I mean, obviously, we're very, we're very big about uh, trying to make sure, you know, uh, trucks are clean, pens are, clean, you know, uh, how whatever. But are we seeing any new uh, regulations uh, kind of coming up that uh, uh, are almost like a precursor to to trying to make sure that we root out ASF? immediately if we ever were to see it come on uh, uh, U.S. soil or even Canadian soil? I don't know of any new regulations in the states, but I know that individual states are running uh, uh, mock outbreak scenarios. Indiana's having one next week with their with state, with veterinarians throughout the state going through an exercise of what would happen if we did have a herd in the state that broke with it. Mm -hmm. um, we're having more scrutiny placed upon feed ingredients that we bring in or use in pig feeds. Our suppliers are making sure that, that ingredients are sit, sit on docks long enough that it deactivates uh, 99 to 100% of vac uh, virus that might be present in it. We're being more cognizant for the most part about where we travel. Uh, it, it's more of a industry led response than it is from a, from a, a government, uh, but I know yeah. that commodity groups are working closely with FDA, USDA, and the uh, Immigration and Customs to try and keep it out. Now, one of the things that kind of uh, begs the question is that you know we know at this point that it's this is this is going to be years before China is back uh, 
to the levels pre-ASF. Would you think it would be a, a good idea uh, for the uh, for the U.S. to ramp up expansion? I mean, we've we've been in an expansionary phase for a while here, but would it be a good idea for us to to go ahead and just jump this uh, jump this thing and 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 go in and continue to expand and and increase the expansion uh, percentage uh, over the next couple of years? That would be good until the Chinese recovered and had their own sow herd. Well, true. But I mean, short, in, in short term, though, doesn't it seem like you you almost want to get to a point where you have a uh, you have a vaccine for this before you say, OK, in the U.S., let's go ahead and ramp this up, because then if you ramp it up and all of a sudden you've got ASF here, you just ramped it up. And now you're having to call a bunch of a bunch of hogs. Well, not only that, but then all our exports are shut down. Correct. I mean, that's that 25% that, that we slaughter that goes overseas is going to sit in our freezers. Right. And that's where I think uh, I, I think I wanted to, to kind of transition here is that, you know, we you work as a as a swine nutritionist, you work directly with hog producers. What are what is their mindset with this whole thing? Are they seeing this as an opportunity, or are they getting worried about what if? I think as it, uh, to cover most of my producers are seen as an opportunity, and not necessarily an opportunity to expand, but more so the opportunity to reap some profits. Um, and the other one that I saw when I had a meeting in Illinois two weeks ago, there were people at that meeting that two weeks prior had made the decision that they were going to stop raising hogs. It's the last group of pigs I had. And that was a week before we had the, the limit up for three days in a row or four days, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. They were meeting saying, Hey, I think we're, I think we're going to raise pigs a little, little longer because of the <laughs> price rise. So, that now begs the question: What are they doing about it? Are they are they are they calling their uh, the processors? Are they calling you know whoever and uh, the packers and are they are they getting sales done two months out, three months out, six months out? Are they are they able to do that? Uh, most of my bigger customers are forward sold for a portion of their of their sales through the end of the year. Um, most they're going to be 25% hedged on those pigs up close. They're probably 75 to 80% hedged. Um, what I've seen with most of my customers, they, when hogs hit 85 or 90 bucks, they said $90 pigs for August, I'm going to sell or 85 and they mm -hmm. sold at a profit and hedged them. And now they're happy that they made a profit, but they're all, they're doing the typical farmer like, gosh. We should have just waited a week. <laughs> right. They sold. They sold too early, and now it's uh, well. I'm. I'm given. I'm. I left a lot of money on the table. Now let's yeah, but let's start... smile because they made money on the sales that they did book. Right. Oh, which is great, and that's what they. You know, obviously, as as any type of producer out there, if you're making money, that's that's the goal. 
I mean, it, mm-hmm. yes, you could make, you could always make more, but you know, you're not operating from a loss because of all these, because, because of those sales. You, and who knows, two weeks from now, six weeks from now, we could be back down to those levels uh, where we were at before this thing took off. You know, I mean, like we, t- like you just kind of uh, uh, alluded to, if ASF were to hit here in the United States, all of a sudden the doors are shut. We cannot export, or actually not that we can't, but our our overseas customers and, and uh, the countries that we export to are not going to take our pork for three months, six months, whatever it is. Um, that That's a real issue over here. I mean, we've seen this with, uh, we saw uh, with BSE uh, back uh, in 2003 when we had uh, mad cow disease hit. I mean, it took five years, I think, for prices to to recover from that. Um, is that something that these guys are are concerned about? And that's why they've said, hey, I want to make sure that I do have some some sales going here and I, I take care of it while it's uh, while it's there. Or was this more of a uh, get it while they're getting good type thing? I, I think the first reaction was let's get it while, while it's good. I think the secondary is defensive. Um, there's an undercurrent of, of some of the producers I work with that have the uh, attitude that we're going to get it. We can't keep it out. Mm-hmm. So they're they're being more defensive in some of their sales. Okay. Now, as you as you uh, go around and and you're talking to clients, exactly. Um, what are you as a as a swine nutritionist? What what is your typical interaction with uh, with a client? What are you what are you uh, talking to them specifically about? Is it is it price of uh, of beans or price of meal or price of corn uh, or is it uh, is it rations? How how does it go? Well, I, the first the primary way I work with my customers is to best cost their rations, and the way I do that I get uh, weekly or semi weekly or monthly price lists on their major commodities and uh, synthetic amino acids and I use those to best cost it means I have algorithms in our formulation program that tell us the best mixture of those ingredients to make the least cost diet mm-hmm. and then we compare those with, with with the rations that we have in place and then we in, install those say hey these are the best rations going to get us the most profit or reduce the our feed cost the, the best we're I expand that with most of my customers. We talk about what do you see distillers grains doing for the next three months? What's your broker saying? What is, what's bean meal doing? And we can implement some strategies to preserve, uh, for instance, if you've got a, re- a really good basis contract on soybean meals, we could re- preserve that by changing the amount of soybean meal we use because we see the price of soybean meal going up. So we're extending mm-hmm. that. The inverse of that, we see that soybean meal is going to take a spike. Hey, let's 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 hold on to this. Um, there's ways that that I can help with the profitability outside of what is on the paper or what's on the price list today. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's your uh, what's your take uh, on the uh, on the current negotiations with the uh, uh, with China here, Jim? Are you? Uh, where do you where do you think we uh, we stand on things? Are are we going to get something done? And 
if so, any thoughts on on what that does for us for uh, say pork or or, or bean uh, export numbers or even corn export numbers for that matter? Well, we're going to get something done. We can't as a as a as an economy not have an agreement with the second largest economy in the world. It, we're going to get something done. What it means for us, I think I hope it means we get to that opens the door for pork and we can go through the logistic issues of shipping pork over there. And I hope that that the discussion that we had about soybean meal use not being off as much as we thought comes to play and that we can sell them. Mm-hmm. But we've been talking about for what, 13 months? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I know. I think you're exactly right. I mean, it, it was first teased uh, to us, uh, I think at the end of March of, uh, of last year. And then the, the actual, uh, the actual first tariffs were introduced uh, after after Memorial Day. Yeah. So what what I tweeted in my attitude about the whole trade deal is I want it done, and it can be behind us, and we could trade without. Well, we're waiting on a on a trade deal, or what happens with the trade deal? We get it behind us, and we have a new normal, and whatever that new normal is, we can at least start trading that, and we. We've removed the question mark. Mm-hmm. Now, something that we haven't touched on: um, you are a producer yourself. You mm-hmm. raise corn and beans. Um, what is uh, what's your thoughts uh, right now with your situation going into uh, what looks to be obviously a delayed planning situation? What's a, what what are you thinking as a producer? Um, you know, I mean, because you're in the same you're in the same boat as you know the guy in Nebraska, the guy in Iowa, the guy in South Dakota, Illinois, uh, where it's just it's too wet to get stuff done. What are you thinking out there? <laughs> it was so wet that my son's rugby game yesterday they were playing in the mud, and it's April sixteenth. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's it's hard to say. We're gonna try and. The attitude of the market is that we can get this crop planted in seven days. It's just, can we get seven days to do it? That, well, that's that's right. Yeah, I mean, it, and given given a seven to ten day window of dry conditions, we will get it done. The problem comes in with, will we get a seven to ten day window? And how much, uh, how well does it, uh, does it, I mean, how how does that stay uh do does it do we get that seven to ten day window and then it goes right back to super wet and then we have replant issues because of things kind of being drowned out we're uh, in 2016 all over again for the eastern corn belt yeah well that's right yeah you you guys i remember uh uh guys telling us about uh uh Lake Rensselaer <laughs> out there. They, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> yep. you know, Indiana was was severely hit by by all that. And then, what did we come out with? We ended up with a with a record uh, a record crop that year. And we've had five years straight of pretty well record crops or very near record crops. So uh, it's it, I think the, and I think if you if you look at and we've talked about this before. Um, if you look at the where the funds are at, I think it's almost that the funds are considering, well, yeah, we can get it planted if we have seven to 10 days. And 
the genetics on this uh, on these grains, especially corn, means it doesn't matter if as long as it gets in the ground, we're going to have a crop. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's it, it's tough out there, and and I'm wondering um, now in your in your area because you're out uh, uh, in uh, you're in the northeast uh, uh, corner of uh, of uh, Indiana, right? Yeah, we're four miles from Ohio and 30 from Michigan. Okay, so in your area, there's uh, there was there much done last fall as far as anhydrous or or even field work at all? No, we the the biggest. Uh, I've got friends that they did 10 or 15 percent of their fall tillage work that they thought they were going to do. I, mm -hmm. I think as a I think we're probably half done with fall work um, that people did. Um, so we're behind. I think the bigger one, we don't, we don't in our area do much fall anhydrous. Most of okay. it's a, a pre-plant or side dress. Um, so that, that doesn't hurt us, but we're behind on fall tillage and fall uh, fertilizer spreading. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. And we All have right, less well, wheat planted than, than we usually do because of, the wet fall well and and what's the condition of the wheat in your area anyway does yeah. it look okay because i've heard i've heard from a lot of guys that uh, uh you know they they produce uh, wheat in southern illinois or or indiana or ohio that uh it's really not worth anything right now there's a lot of guys that are talking that they're going to plow that stuff under and and plant something else is that what is that accurate from what you've seen in your travels? I've seen that the early planted wheat, that late September, early October, is looking okay, and the fall, the later planted wheat is is seemingly better than we expected. In our the wheat that we have was was late planted, and when we walked it last week, it was we made the decision that we're probably going to keep it um, with the plain the demand for the straw coming in to help the profitability of it and with the investment we've already got in it we're we're probably going to roll the dice on the on the wheat but it's not i don't think there's anybody in my part of the world that's counting on 100 bushel wheat this year right i gotcha okay well let's uh let's wrap this up jim i i 100 i i absolutely appreciate you uh taking the time to uh to join us on the podcast here as we try and get this thing off the ground uh bringing in uh, uh experts uh, uh such as yourself and uh t having a little bit of a different uh, uh perspective than uh, what mike and i bring to the uh to the table here it's uh thank you so much for joining us Oh, you're more than welcome. I, uh, it was a it was a nice conversation with you, Greg. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, that's all the time we've got for uh, today's podcast. You can get a hold of us at allendale-inc.com, or you can get a hold of us at uh, 800-2-MARKET. That's 800-262-7538. Thank you.